from the Holland Tunnel to the Hamfish Bridge, from the town of Vestal to the bridge called Verrazano, it's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across New York State. And so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, excited for today's show. And as we really get close to Election Day here, uh, a lot of exciting things happening, including the gubernatorial debate of last night, which we're going to devote a bit of time toward the end of the show, too. Uh, but how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Less than uh, two weeks ago, as you mentioned. And so it is high time to pitch our election night live audience show, a two hour, I call it an extravaganza. And I don't use that word lightly. Uh, right here at 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. If you want uh, to RSVP, you, you do want to RSVP. Uh, you should go to either of our websites. We have buttons on them. Uh, you can sign up via Eventbrite. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Some audience uh, participation. It's a great cafe for folks who haven't been there. Um, excellent paninis, as I've mentioned more than once. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be um, a really exciting evening, not just because of our show, which of, of course will be exciting and interesting, but we're going to be on the verge when we have the show at 5 to 7 p.m. on election day of seeing you know the returns come in with within just a few hours after polls close. And this is really a monumental election. Um, you know, obviously every election is important, whether it's local, state, federal, et cetera. But, you know, we're talking about some really important things on the line here and questions around party control, obviously, of statewide seats here in New York, uh, but also really significantly a lot of attention on which party will control the New York State Senate. We know that Democrats will keep control of the Assembly. So the Senate's really the major legislative game in town. And then, of course, we're looking to see whether uh, Republicans keep control of the House of Representatives on the federal level and a number of seats in New York will play into this or whether Democrats will take control of that chamber of a legislature. So really a lot on the line. There is one U.S. Senate seat on the ballot here in New York, although uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand looks like you know she's a heavy, heavy favorite in that race. But other Senate races around the country, people are paying attention to. So it'll be a big election night. Our show from 5 to 7 p.m. You should come join us if you can for all or part of it and definitely RSVP ahead of time. So we have a sense of uh, who wants to come and so that you can make sure you can get in because we expect it to be pretty busy. And I think, you know, it is, as you mentioned, every election is important, is consequential. Uh, we, you know, think of this as a midterm election. And so it doesn't get quite the buzz of a presidential race. But if you think about it, the 1994 midterm election is one of the most consequential elections in our lives, really Absolutely. did change the course of American politics. And and so our focus on this show today is on specifically the congressional elections and the one seat in New York City that kind of puts our local politics in the national spotlight. That is District 11, which covers all of Staten Island and a part of Brooklyn. That is where Representative Dan Donovan is the incumbent Republican. He is seeking re-election against uh, Max Rose, a uh, decorated Army veteran veteran who won the Democratic primary to oppose him. It's uh, that rare race in New York City that actually seems to take on some of the national um, tug of war between Democrats and Republicans that's playing out across the House races. It's definitely a battleground race. It fits into this larger picture. 
you have to think uh, that Representative Donovan, who's going to join us momentarily, and we're going to talk with him about his record, his reelection bid, but of course also the news of the day, uh, given some security issues that have been happening around the city and the country. Uh, but it is one of these races that people are watching very closely to see um, whether Republicans can hold on or whether Democrats really have a wave year upon them. And as you say, the consequences here are are really significant, and we're going to get Representative Donovan's take on that in terms of if Democrats take control of the House. I mean, you're talking about there are th- people talking about impeachment proceedings of the president and all sorts of investigations of, of Donald Trump, not to mention that it totally changes the game in terms of negotiations between the two parties around legislation and all sorts of other things. So there is an incredible amount at stake. This is a district that has moved back and forth, Democrat and Republican, a little bit, although it's a pretty strongly Republican seat historically. So let's welcome on the air now Congressman Daniel Donovan. Sir, welcome to Max and Murphy on WBAI. Ben Jarrett, thanks so much for having me. Why don't we start with the big news of the day, which is about these packages apparently uh, containing what are suspected to be explosive devices or or possible explosive devices sent to uh, uh, the Clintons and former President Obama and other addresses. What are you hearing about that and what's your reaction to it? I am. I've been in touch with Washington throughout the day. I sit on Homeland Security Committee and I chair a committee that deals with terrorism policy and natural disasters. So we've been in touch uh, with my committee staff throughout the day and been watching the reports come in. Now, it's a very dangerous uh, time in our lives when, you know, Secretary Clinton's address can be found by anyone through the Internet. Uh, President Obama's address, uh, thank God that his mail is screened outside of his home, but this one package was going to be delivered to Secretary Clinton's home. They had to vacate the CNN building. Uh, this afternoon, and, and that package, New York City Police Bomb Squad brought that to uh, Rodman's neck uh, to try to uh, disarm it, and then subsequently, through forensic evidence, find out what it was made of and possibly a suspect who made of it. You know, we, we were very fortunate to be protected by the FBI, uh, the United States Secret Service, and here in New York City, the New York City Police Department do a wonderful job protecting us. It's not by accident that uh, we haven't had a major uh, problem in our city. We've had some, but nothing major since September 11th of 2001. That's because of the intelligence we receive and the great work of the women and men in the police department. So, uh, you know, we, we ask people to be cautious. Uh, the, the law enforcement authorities will start giving out some information uh, to make people aware of what these packages look like in case someone sees something similar. Uh, they'll be trolling the internet uh, to see what websites would show someone how to make such a device. They'll look to see what people on those websites. They'll use all their sources and methods, uh, confidential informants and whatnot, uh, to try to determine as quick as possible who's responsible for these heinous acts. So it's very early days or hours, of course, but there has been uh, speculation that you know these mailings reflect something about our political dialogue in the country and, and the nature of, of discourse. Do you think that there is a connection there, and what do you think that connection is? I, I, this has no place in the political arena, what happened here today. Uh, and all of the targeted uh, folks or people prominent in the Democratic Party that I'm aware of, unless there's uh, things that haven't been told as of yet. 
and uh, there's no place in our arena for this kind of behavior. This is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous to the postal inspectors, the po- post office workers, the people who deliver these packages. Certainly, very dangerous to the people they were addressed to. And this is not what we we could we could argue policy, we could debate issues, uh, but there's no place in our political arena for conduct like what we saw today. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of us can agree that, uh, you know, the political dialogue in the country is especially overheated lately. Um, and, you know, we can't obviously draw a direct connection to these explosive devices and and the dialogue that's been happening unless we really, you know, get intelligence on motives behind the, the behavior of, of the today or w- whenever the explosives and other devices might have been sent. Um, but generally speaking, there's a lot of agreement that uh, the dialogue is overheated and and many people say that that starts right at the top with the president what what's your take on the the tone that he's setting in terms of the political dialogue in this country right now I think the tone, uh, you know, on both sides of the aisle needs to be tampered down. You have Maxine Waters telling people to go accost uh, people in public office at restaurants and and go to their homes. This all has, like I said, we could debate on the floor of Congress. We could uh, go back and forth between the two houses or through the between the administration and, and Congress. But what happened today were, were, were dangerous federal crimes that someone's going to go to prison for a very long time for. So I think we've got to calm this, this, this banter down, uh, stick to why the issues that people sent us to represent them. I don't think anybody sent us down there uh, with the hopes that something like what happened today happens. And, and, and just get down to the people's business. And yeah, it's heated on both sides of the aisle. We have a lot of uh, veteran um, members of Congress from both sides of the aisle who are, have announced their retirements aren't seeking re-election in two weeks. And a lot of it is because uh, in all of their time in Congress, they haven't seen it as partisan as it is now. Uh, they, they, some of them think back and remember when uh, a Republican president, President Reagan, and a Democratic speaker, Tip O'Neill, did tax reform together. And they debated uh, their issues, and then everybody would go have a beer afterward together. And apparently, I've, I've only been there for three and a half years now, but and I was only in Congress a short time during uh, President Obama's administration, uh, but apparently some of the folks who are have uh, more longevity than I do in the House, have seen it, uh, believe that this is the most partisan they've seen it, and a lot of this rhetoric, um, you know, some people are taking uh, too far along, and we've seen that today. So that's a great segue into talking about your run for re-election and the question of why why do you want to stay in Washington given the environment there and how much of the discussion in the district really centers around President Trump is this is this race a referendum on the president uh, I, I don't think it is. Uh, you know, the, the district in which I represent, and I was fortunate to win two congressional re- uh, elections. I won a primary this June in, in the district, and three times I was elected the chief law enforcement officer of the district attorney of Staten Island. Uh, but we have uh, folks who vote for the person, not so much the party, um, that we have people who have voted for Democratic presidents. Barack Obama won my district twice, uh, and at the same time, we'll for 
Republican as their member of Congress. Uh, so I think it's more of a referendum on, on who they believe would be the best person to serve them in Congress, uh, who has a record of accomplishments, and, and, uh, and compare that to somebody who just recently moved into the district just to run for Congress. So I think that's going to be the deciding factor in this particular congressional race. I can't speak for any of the others. Uh, you know, there's 435 of us, and each part of our country is unique, and people have uh, different beliefs and different uh, priorities in different parts of our country. But here in the 11th Congressional District, um, most people want an opportunity for their children. They want to pay for their education, want to pay their mortgage off, and, and have government out of their lives. So before we ask you anything else then about uh, the president, uh, talk a little bit more about what you s- see as your case for reelection. What what can you say to voters uh, on Staten Island and in the, the sliver of Brooklyn that's part of your district? Um, what can you say to them about what you've accomplished uh, during your time in Congress? I think people just have to look. You know, I've, I'm, I'll be 62 years old on Election Day, uh, November 6th, and uh, the last 30 years of public service, eight years in the Manhattan DA's office, then I came to serve my community. I was the chief of staff at Borough Hall when the time we closed the most dreaded environmental blight on our community, the Fresh Kills Landfill. Um, I was the deputy borough president in this community after the tragedy in Lower Manhattan on September 11th of 2001. We had nearly 300 families who lost a loved one. We helped them through that. The 12 years I was the district attorney, uh, you don't have to take my word for it, the FBI is deemed that Staten Island was the safest community and the safest big city in all of America during those 12 years. And for the last three and a half years, I've supported the community that sent me down there to represent them. I, um, you know, I, I've supported the administration on things that are good for my community, and I voted no on things like the uh, replacement plan for the Affordable Care Act, because it was going to hurt my hospitals and hurt the senior citizens who live in my community. And I voted no on the tax reform because of the loss of the, well, the cap on on the state and local income tax uh, deduction that so many families, so many hardworking middle-class families depended on, um, who last year were able to deduct fifty, fifty-one thousand dollars from their federal returns, and next year that's capped at ten thousand. So I've, I've voted with my constituents one hundred percent of the time. We've had some great accomplishments. I had the president sign into law two weeks ago my FEMA Reform Act. And after Sandy, which at the end of this month will be recognizing the sixth anniversary of that, so many people were re victimized by their government when they sought help from FEMA, and the president signed into law two weeks ago before we left uh, Washington, my FEMA reform bill. So there's so many things, but I think my greatest accomplishment I was most proud of is uh, co-sponsoring the Zadroga Health Care Fund for those brave women and men who ran to that tragedy on September 11th and stayed for the weeks and months afterwards, and we were able to get a, a permanent uh, health care fund for those brave individuals who are now suffering from diseases directly related related to heroism. Congressman, one of the issues that has been much in the news is immigration and the president's position on both uh, undocumented and, and legal immigration. And I'm curious, one of the things that comes up a lot when the president talks about immigration is the role of immigrants in crime. When you were district attorney, was it your impression that undocumented immigrants were disproportionately responsible for crime in Staten Island? 
There was not on Staten Island during my 12 years. There was a portion of it. Um, a lot of my um, my uh, illegal immigrant crime had to do with uh, perpetrating crimes against other people in their community. And there was a lot of domestic violence. And a lot of that was caused, I think, by uh, the fear of people coming forward to report those crimes in fear of their own um, immigration status. And I was criticized publicly, but I had said for the 12 years I was DA. Um, that no one has to fear their immigration status in, in my office if they're a victim of a crime or if they were brave enough to help us solve a crime against someone else. Uh, so there was some crime in, in communities that uh, there was a large uh, illegal immigrant population, um, but there was we, we had such little crime on Staten Island during that time. Like I said, we were the safest community, the safest big city in America. Um, so um, it was really, I didn't see anything that was abnormal during my 12 years. And do you think uh, America should limit legal immigration? Well, I think we have to do. We have to have an immigration policy that works. One of the things that I think is is just insane about our immigration policy is: look at the the folks who come here on student visas and train to be physicians, and after their schooling's over and after their training's over, many of them want to go back to their countries of origin and and use their skills there. But so many want to stay here and help our communities with healthcare. Yet we 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 force them to leave the country because so their visa is is expired when you have talented people that we've actually invested in. So I think there has to be some kind of immigration policy in place. The one that we have right now is not working, but this country was built by immigrants. My fa- my mother's family came from Poland. My father's family came from Ireland. Uh, you know, my daughter, who's three years old now, gets to go to school with Muslim children, Jewish children, African children, people from different cultures, people who wear different garb than her, people who celebrate different holidays. And my child is going to be a better person because she has first hand exposure. She's going to go over to some child's home whose family prays on Fridays instead of Sundays like we do, and she's going to learn so much from that. So, uh, you know, I, I am a proponent of, of, of immigrants coming to our country, but we need them to come legally. I'm also a proponent of, of border security. We have to secure our borders because uh, we have gangs that come through there. We have human trafficking, and people are victimized through our, coming through our southern borders. We have our, a lot of our drug trade comes through our, our poorest borders. So I think what we have to do both at the same time, we have to come up with an immigration process that works. It takes too long for some people who want to become a citizen of this great nation, and and they're following all our rules and regulations, and they have to wait 8, 10, 12 years. That's too long. Uh, I praise those folks who wait that long, that they don't give up on the process. So we have to... We have to revamp this entire process, but at the same time, we have to make sure that our borders are secured for our own safety. So I want to ask you a quick follow-up on that, but before I do, I just want to give our listeners the chance to call and ask a question of Congressman Donovan. The number to call is 347-335-0818. That's 347-335-0818. We'll take one or two calls, perhaps, for Congressman Donovan in the time we have with him remaining. Uh, But just to follow up on that, what you said about both undocumented immigrants and crime and also about, um, you know, sort of celebrating diversity and, and the, the immigration system while you're while you're saying there's a need for some reform, but you're, you're celebrating the diversity in the both your district and the country. Uh, how do you how do you respond to to some of the the rhetoric coming from the president, but also other other members of your party that are are very different from what you just said and more xenophobic and more interested in 
in, you know, really um, altering the immigration system to, to limit even, um, you know, the sort of legal immigration that's coming through. Yeah, I guess we have to, you know, I guess at some point, and I don't have the, the answer to it, I haven't studied uh, the issue to see what is that limit or what should that limit be, what's the proper number per year, um, and it's something that should be debated. Um, but, you know, coming from New York, I, I, I've lived in this city for 62 years, uh, will be 62 years on Election Day. Um you know, some of my colleagues come from parts of our country uh, where it's unusual to see someone of Italian descent. Uh, I represent the most Italian-American di- congressional district in the entire country. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough, besides all those things I said about my daughter, um, if the three of us wanted to get Thai food at 2.30 in the morning, not only would we be able to get it, but we could get it delivered. So uh, there's, there's great advantages that we have being in this great metropolitan area where so many immigrants come to raise their children, uh, to, to, to start their businesses, um, to, to provide for their families. We, we have a great advantage, and some parts of the country don't have the same, um, the same uh, advantages, I would say, uh, that we're, we're afforded here in New York. And I think that might be some of the differences to how things are perceived. So you've brought up your your time as district attorney, and uh, and now obviously you're in Congress, and and there's a a, a thread, but you know, between those positions that I wanted to ask you about, which is um, the the Eric Garner case. Uh, the this has dragged on for a really long time. It seems as though um, from news reports, you know, there's been some conflict between the New York offices uh, and the D.C. offices in terms of any char- uh, federal charges that might be brought against Officer Pantaleo. What's your take on on where that's at now? Do you want to see a, a resolution there? And looking back on the, the, the arc of this uh, situation, is there anything, you know, you've reflected on or, or any, you know, more recent takeaways? You know, it's, it's strange because I'm not uh, privy to the federal investigation. Uh, we presented evidence to a state grand jury um, within months uh, of, of Mr. Garner's death. We, we started an investigation into his death and presented evidence to grand jury within months, and they concluded that there was no criminal conduct by anyone involved. Um, and then the, the Justice Department, as you pointed out, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York and the Justice Department took, took the case up to see if Mr. Garner's civil rights were, were violated by anyone. And um, I, I'm getting what you guys are getting as far as just what I read in the, in the reports, that are, that are in open source reports in the, in the media. So I have no idea why it's taking this long. Um, we did a thorough investigation. Uh, we presented all the evidence to a grand jury uh, that was available to us, uh, put in scores of witnesses. And, and, and so I, don't, I, I really can't tell you guys why it's taking this long. And certainly there should be some finality for the Garner family. Um, and I suspect the longer this drags on, the more difficult it is on them. Uh, for Officer Pantaleo and other members of the uh, New York City Police Department, who uh, um, may have, uh, you know, had had their careers uh, involved, or they were involved that day. Um, I guess they, they seek some finality. So I, I, I really can't tell you guys why it's taken this long. And when you ask the federal government any questions, they just, uh, they just shut you down. They'll never tell you anything. So I guess one day, hopefully soon, we'll find out what their conclusion is. But I have really no idea why it's taken this long. It's not like it's ongoing conduct. 
conduct that they're investigating. Right. Um, and, you know, we turned everything over to them that we were, we were allowed by law to turn over to, to assist uh, in their investigation. So I, I really can't tell you, but it's years now, guys. So two big local issues you hear about on Staten Island, among others, are infrastructure. You know, the borough always feels isolated. Traffic's a huge concern getting to Manhattan or other places for work is an issue. And obviously the terrible uh, opioid crisis. What are things that the federal government can do, should do, and you hope you will do uh, if you're reelected to address those very local concerns from the vantage point of Washington? Yeah, I mean, uh, the federal government's role always is to support localities. Localities do their work so much better than bureaucrats in Washington do. Uh, to address the opioid uh, crisis, we passed 35 laws uh, in this Congress to help deal with uh, with the opioid crisis that's not new, new, unique to New York or in Staten Island. The entire country is facing it. The president did a, an announcement today about it. But we, we put money into Listen, I was a product of an alcoholic father, so I understand addiction. And, uh, you know, it's a three-prong approach if we're going to ever defeat this, this, this terrible uh, situation that we're dealing with. Um, you have to educate people that these drugs are dangerous. Um, unlike many other drugs, you know, prescription drugs are found in people's medicine cabinet. Uh, the FDA has told you that there's 30 milligrams of oxycodone in this tablet. So it's not like you're taking something that you don't know what's in it. And, uh, and people feel that because of those things that it's safe and they're really dangerous drugs. We have to educate people who haven't experimented yet. We have to treat people uh, who are suffering through addiction. And again, I, I understand addiction through my father's addiction. Um, and we have to still have law enforcement. We have to punish people who are peddling this, these poisons to our children. And the federal government's role is to sponsor those localities that are doing great work with giving them the resources to do it more. The other thing that we did uh, this year is we gave the National Institutes of Health uh, about $5 billion in the 21st Century Cures Act, and we gave them more money in the opioid package to try to come up with non-addictive, non-narcotic pain medication. There are people who uh, suffer from chronic pain, whether it be through a surgery, an injury, or things like arthritis, that the pain needs to be treated. But we've asked the National Institutes of Health to use federal dollars to try to develop some type of non-addictive, non-narcotic pain medication for those people who are suffering. On the infrastructure uh, question, yeah, Staten Island's isolated. Uh, we're connected to New Jersey by three bridges, uh, Brooklyn by one bridge, and a ferry to Manhattan. And so many people in my community have to drive or, or depend on something that's called an express bus. But if you speak with them, there's nothing express about it. Um, so this year in the appropriations request, I've requested $1 billion for light rail and $300 million for bus rapid transit systems. Uh, the Republicans, before I got to Congress, did away with member items after, you guys remember, the bridge to nowhere. Um, yep. And after that, uh, trying to cut the fat out of federal budget. The Republicans decided not to have member items anymore. Uh, but we, what we do now is try to uh, design legislation and, and appropriations uh, that we can compete for. And Staten Island will be able to compete for these monies if, if this appropriation request of mine is passed. Uh, we, we will qualify because of the, long, the length of time of our commute on public transportation, the amount of people who live here, the density, and, our, and how isolated we are from the rest of the city. 
So we're going to get you out on one last question, and uh, that was that's um, during a recent debate uh, watched on, on New York One w- between you and your Democratic challenger Max Rose. Um, you said no to the notion of additional federal funding for NYCHA. Um, NYCHA obviously has been terribly mismanaged, and and that's obvious to everyone. And there's been you know potentially criminal activity in terms of some of the cover-ups and issues there. Um, but that aside, there's over $30 billion in physical needs for NYCHA, um, and you obviously have some uh, in your district. Um, can you explain a little bit more why you're against the idea of more federal funding for public housing? I, I think you, you hit it when you, in your opening of the question that it's been so mismanaged. It's such abuse. It's been such a waste of money. We now have a federal monitor that's going to go into this and have an accounting of all the money that this mismanagement, the, the lack of leadership for NYCHA and New York City uh, Housing Authority, uh, and what happened to the money we've already given. And let's see how we could better spend the money that we have. The conditions are horrible. Uh, I brought the regional uh, administrator for Region 2 for, from HUD to Staten Island to go through some of our housing developments to see the conditions that people are living under. Um, it's atrocious. Um and so something is terribly wrong with the, 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 the hundreds of millions of dollars we've already put into this system for it to look the way it does and for the conditions to be where people are suffering from and, and, and children being exposed to lead and mold and, and, and things that I'm not a scientist, guys, but I'm sure are very harmful to humans and no one should live under these conditions. So I'm in favor of the federal monitor. I'm in favor of an accounting of what the city of New York has done with all this money the federal government has given them and let them come up with a reason why people are still living under these conditions. And then we could determine how to better spend the money that we're already given them and then determine whether or not more is necessary as long as it's spent to help these people. Uh, just a few seconds left. I so rare that I get an experienced uh, prosecutor who's also a congressman on the phone. So one quick question. <laughs> uh, constitutional law trivia question. Can President Trump pardon himself? You know, I don't know. I've never studied the issue. And as a lawyer, I'd never give a legal advice to something that I haven't researched. Um, I'm, I'm not actually sure. Uh, you know, the, the legal minds will, will figure that out. I'm sure that his lawyers are looking at it. I'm sure the people who believe that he doesn't have the ability to do that are looking at it as well. And that'll be debated, and I suspect that at some point it'll go to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, but I'm at, at liberty to, to give you a definitive answer. I've never studied the issue, but thank you. All right, Counselor, thank you. And Congressman Dan Donovan, thanks very much for being on. Good luck in the race. Good to be with you guys. Thanks Take for care. having me. You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. Ben Max from Gotham Gazette with Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. You just heard our interview with the Representative Dan Donovan. Donovan, who is the congressman for Staten Island and a sliver of Brooklyn, the 11th congressional district running for re-election this year, like many members of the House. He's being challenged by Democrat Max Rose. And I do want to say that we made several attempts to get Max Rose on the program today and uh, the, his campaign did, did not come through. We've also talked to them about other weeks and um, seems like they've, they've got other priorities, which is fine. But we appreciate uh, Congressman Donovan coming on. Jarrett, uh, initial reaction to uh, what Dan Donovan had to say to us. Uh, I thought it was uh, interesting to have a person who has been supported by the president and who has supported the 
the president on a day like this when the question of political violence and how much that stems from the overall atmosphere is is in the air. Um, although I would not be too quick to draw uh, bright lines between anyone's conduct uh, in the political realm and uh, in the packages that we're talking about today. But very interesting to have him on and talk about the need to cool things down in general, not singing out the president uh, for his rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw that on several questions. We asked him that perhaps the most glaring that he clearly doesn't want to criticize President Trump. Uh, he's been endorsed by the president in the primary when he defeated Michael Grimm, who used to have his seat. It would have been fun to talk to him about the primary, but that's kind of old news at this point. Uh, maybe another time. But um, he doesn't want to criticize the president. He's not uh, one of those members of the Republican Party that staked out any of that ground as sort of a, a voice within the GOP that's a never Trump voice or anything. Close to that, uh, perhaps that has to do with the fact that he represents a, a pretty strongly su- a supportive district of President Trump, or it might just be his own viewpoints uh, or both. Um, but he he definitely shied away from that. Uh, certainly, we could have probably pushed him a little harder on that, but we gave him the opportunity to weigh in, and uh, and he he certainly avoided any criticism, uh, both on the immigration questions we asked and on just this larger question of the the political rhetoric. I did want to jump in and ask him, you know. Uh, this package is sent to CNN and, uh, you know, just a few days after President Trump at a rally is praising one of Dan Donovan's colleagues in Congress for having body slammed a reporter, you know, which he pled guilty to criminal charges over. Um, Again, we don't want to we're not going to draw a direct line there, but it's certainly in a discussion of the larger atmosphere part of the equation. And of course, that atmosphere boils down to the local picture in Staten Island and what people are and aren't talking about on the street in this district. I haven't had the chance to do much of that reporting, but our next guest has. It's Abigail savage Lou, longtime City Limits writer. She has done a lot of reporting in the district, talking to folks about what the race is about. And Abby joins us now. Welcome to BAI, Abby. Thank you so much. Good to be on with you both. Hey, Abby. So Hi. I'll ask you the same question I asked Dan Donovan just now, which is, is this a race? Uh, is this race a referendum on Donald Trump? Is that what folks are talking about as they make your decision? Or is it more complex than that? Yeah, you know, I kind of think that, I mean, of course, both candidates are saying that it's, you know, it's not a referendum on Donald Trump. It's about uh, the, the the two candidates themselves. But, I mean, I think that, you know, that for at least a good portion of voters, they might not know uh, that much about local politics. So certainly for that portion of, of voters, yes, it, you know, they are gravitating towards um, a candidate or a party because of what they think of the Trump election. I mean, sorry, because of, you know, Trump's presidency so far. Um, but then, you know, I think I also spoke to people who are, you know, they 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 commented on the fact that uh, Donovan has a record that they admire as a district attorney or they feel he was doing a good job or people who liked Rose because uh, he served as a uh, he served in Afghanistan um, or because of the policies that he was promoting. So I think it's a mixed bag. Some of the 
things you've heard the two different campaigns talk about um, Rose critiquing Donovan for where some of his campaign financing has come from, including pharmaceutical companies. Donovan criticizing Rose for having moved to the district relatively recently, although it wasn't exactly yesterday. It was at least uh, three years ago. Uh, those those are the storylines that the two campaigns have been pushing. Are those resonating at all among voters you're talking about? Is that making any kind of a dent? You know, um, I didn't hear anyone bring up uh, the, you know, how long Rose has lived in Staten Island. What I did hear someone say is uh, that he doesn't have experience politically, which, you know, he did work for Ken Thompson, um, but um, for the, the late Brooklyn district attorney. But yeah, he hasn't served as a district attorney or as a congressman or a city council member. Um, and then I did hear, yeah, so one person I spoke to did bring up um, the, the money that Donovan has uh, received from pharmaceuticals, uh, which Donovan, you know, at first, his campaign was like, oh, we didn't know we got that. And then they said, we're going to donate them to, um, to organizations that, that address the drug crisis. But anyway, one, one voter I spoke to said that uh, this was a, a big concern to them and, you know, they were supportive of Rose. I also spoke to, I asked another, I asked a Donovan supporter, you know, does it matter to you that he's receiving um, this, this, these PAC funds? And they, they said no. Um, so I don't know. Um, how much that factor is, is on its own going to sway things, but certainly some voters are aware of the issue. Talk a little bit more, Abby, if you would, about uh, the message that Max Rose is putting forth and how it seems like that's resonating. Is there uh, are there pockets of the district that it seems like he's most directly appealing to in any way? Does it seem like he's trying to be more of a crossover candidate given his background? Obviously, the North Shore of Staten Island and parts of Brooklyn are a little bit more democratic or more democratic leaning and, and Mid Island and the South Shore are more Republican. Um, but what's your sense of sort of Max Rose's message and, and where and how he's targeting that? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Brooklynite myself and, um, and you know, reading about uh, there's a lot of articles right now that are saying, like, Max Rose is not Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, which is sort of saying that, you know, he's staking out um, at least the sort of uh, presenting himself as someone who is. Um, an independent, not, you know, too far to the right or left. Um, although you have to, you know, read his positions carefully to understand exactly how he feels about all the different various issues. But, but certainly he, he says that he um, is, and, and I think that that is the right strategy to take in a way, because um, in Staten Island, I think that I, I spoke to uh, people who really encompass like such a large swath of different uh, opinions and perspectives, you know, people who are very concerned about the Trump administration and like want the blue wave uh, to people who are, you know, they're, they're Democrats. They may have voted for Clinton, but, you know, they're, they kind of see they, they, they sort of uh, see good things about the Trump administration and they are not necessarily looking for a candidate who wants to um to, you know, just bash Trump, but someone who is going to speak about the issues. Several people said that to me, and that is certainly what Rose is, is saying he wants to do. And 
I'm wondering, you know, we, we focus so much on the state level elections and less on the federal. So I'm wondering a little bit, and maybe this hasn't come up that much and we can just move on, but I'm wondering where Governor Cuomo has fit into this race. He's endorsed Max Rose. Max Rose said in a debate that uh, he thinks he's done a good job. Donovan said no. Um, I haven't really seen much in terms of Mark Molinaro, the Republican candidate for governor, campaigning with Dan Donovan, but has Cuomo factored in to this race at all? The one thing that I'm thinking of right now is that um, Lieutenant Governor uh, Kathy Hochul was in Staten Island um, early last week with Max Rose, and they were speaking about uh, Donovan's record on opioid epidemic and criticizing Donovan for uh, claiming to have more of a um, a uh, like an impact on the state's joining of a database for sharing information about drugs than 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 Kathy Hochul said was um, was warranted, basically saying that he was overstepping and in, in claiming that he had an impact. And um, and so Donovan reacted to that with uh, criticisms of, of the Cuomo administration um, uh, surrounding like the voting rights of uh, formerly incarcerated people. So I think there's been some. Yeah, I mean. There has been a kind of alliance between the the Rose and the Cuomo administration uh, campaigns, and yeah. Staten Island is such a fascinating place, and this district is such an interesting one, in part because, as the congressman said, you know, it has swung uh, back and forth from Republican to Democrat in terms of their congressional selections. It's majority Democrat, but obviously has this um, suburban um, white stereotype, which is which is not entirely accurate. But, Abby, in your reporting in the district, did you talk to anybody who kind of bounced from, say, Obama to Trump or from Romney? to Obama and and who were thinking about this race and, and what were the issues that they were concerned about? Yes. I I think I spoke to um, just just like one or two who were originally Obama supporters and then uh, became and then voted for Trump. And I remember um, one person told me that they had voted for uh, Trump because they were disappointed they said with Obama's second term, um, and they mentioned things that uh, I think have actually been uh, played up by um, the by by the Trump administration and by conservative uh, commentators, uh, such as Obama's sort uh, a, a, a transaction in which Obama gave money to Iran um, or a the issue of uh, immigration. So they were they were definitely national issues, I think, that that sort of had shaped their perception. I think one thing I'll just add that I thought was striking was that it seemed like while there was um, a definite variety of views, I did feel that people who had voted for Trump, for the most part, seemed like they were sticking with Republicans, uh, meaning that they, you know, despite all the sort of uh, criticism that you hear in other parts of the city, there was... uh, still still some sense of support for what the administration is doing. Well, Abigail Savage-Lou, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to read her reporting on Staten Island, it's uh, called A Mid-Key Congressional Race, Voices from the Spring Swing Borough on Donovan, Rose, and Trump. Thanks very much for joining us, Abby. Thank you. Thanks, Abby.